Hi, I'm Melissa from the Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service, and I'm here to introduce you to the Common Path podcast. These have been developed to support people who have been diagnosed with cancer. Listening to this podcast will provide you with an opportunity to learn from others who have already experienced cancer. They share how they made decisions, what they learned along the way, what helped and what they wish they had known. In this podcast, you'll hear from three people who were diagnosed with breast cancer. Julianne was in her mid-40s and a mother of young children at the time. Prue was in her 70s and Nada was in her 50s and was working full-time. They were all diagnosed in 2015 and were treated with surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy and hormone therapy, though not necessarily in the same order. You can find information and support for people with breast cancer at counterpart.org.au and Breast Cancer Network Australia at bcna.org.au. Each of the podcast participants has their own story to tell and will bring their unique experiences to the discussion. In this first section, Diagnosis, they start by talking about their own cancer diagnosis, how they reacted and how they coped. After a, a biopsy, um, I was told by my breast surgeon, who the very first time I ever met her, um, and she was able to tell me straight up what type of breast cancer, because there's different types. Um, I wasn't shocked when I found out. Uh, I was prepared and I was prepared with questions. I was having a shower and I noticed I had an inverted nipple and it wouldn't come out and I thought, mm, don't, this is not me. So I contacted my doctor and it was at the beginning of the week and it happened all very fast. Doctor, breast surgeon, plan, tests, everything. It just rolled on from there. Um, yeah, so that's how I got the news. I was visiting a friend who was just had a breast cancer surgery and that reminded me to check myself. And that's how I found the same night I found the lump myself. It all happened really, really quick. And um, I had biopsy the next day, saw the surgeon the day after, and he confirmed that it was uh, breast cancer. She said, no, your breast cancer is only stage two and it's a very good chance we can get a recovery for you. So that I went out feeling like I'd been given back a life. Um, and I set about then in a fairly determined way to make the most of my treatment. And if it worked, well and good. If it didn't, I'd, that was it. I know people that have had breast cancer um, and I was pretty sure that that was what my diagnosis was going to be. And in that, that week of anxiety between, say, the ultrasound and biopsy and then getting to see the breast surgeon for the results, I had um, come to terms with it, I, I guess. Like, I'm not saying it wasn't, it was, you know, like not a little bit of a shock or a, or a bit of a, well, this is what we're dealing with. I wanted to be realistic. I suppose I'd got that from my husband, not to 
to be too optimistic and think, right, it's all cured because I had a serious illness and whilst over 50% get better, there is a percentage that don't. So I wanted to be optimistic as well as realistic. In this section, Making Treatment Decisions, you'll hear about how they made decisions about their treatment and what were some of the issues they needed to think about. Well, I'd sort of already made decisions before I even had my diagnosis, which had to be altered based on what the actual diagnosis was, but I'd already decided that I wanted to have a double mastectomy or a bilateral mastectomy. Um... I felt that that was going to give me the best chance of survival. didn't really feel like I had much of a choice. <laughs> you were more or less put on the roller coaster at the beginning of the treatment and this is what we're offering, offering you um, and we can cure you. Um, you know, we feel very confident about curing you if you take our treatment. Um, and... I accepted that. I didn't question it. I didn't go looking for second opinions. I liked the people I was seeing. Um, they were being very factual and giving me all the information. And uh, I thought that this is my best chance of overcoming the cancer is taking this route. There were basically just two options that I understood for breast cancer. If it's just uh, contained to the lump, it's radiation after surgery. If it's gone to lymph nodes, it's chemo and radiation after surgery. And that was it, basically. So he explained all those steps and told me that after surgery I would be seeing an oncologist. So it was all verbal explanation. I did not get any written information at that point. It was all happening so quick. You have this team of people making, like, talking about you every week, this... MDM or the multidisciplinary team meetings they have and talk about you and they come back to you and they say, right, this is what the whole team thinks you should do. Um, what do you think about that? Because initially they wanted to, they, they, it was suggested that I might do chemo first before any surgery and I said, absolutely not. I wanted the cancer cut out immediately. Um, and so I was determined I was having my bilateral mastectomy, but the, the team came back to me and they said, we've got another option for you. How about we do a lumpectomy first, get rid of your cancer for you like you want us to, and then you can start chemo three weeks after that to get cracking, as she said, <laughs> um, get cracking on the chemo, and, and then we prom we'll come back and we'll do your double mastectomy for you. Which, they, which is what, we, what I ended up deciding on. So I felt like I had some say in it. I didn't feel like they were saying, right, this is what you have to do. I felt like I had, you know, some choices. When I first was diagnosed uh, with the cancer stage two breast, they said you're hormone receptive um, and you fit into the profile of a clinical trial um, so that we recommend we give chemo first and then surgery and then radiotherapy uh, so that you can fit into a worldwide way of, man of um, the trial uh, of a hormone drug that you take right at the end of the treatment. 
my husband, being a research background himself, was very positive about joining the trial. He couldn't see any reason not to, and I was very happy. It was sort of a mixture of could benefit me, but if it can benefit others as well, um, go for it, and we did. <laughs> uh, I took my husband with me to see the oncologist, and he saw a surgeon with me as well. So he was there to hear what I couldn't hear because sometimes you don't always hear everything with, with everything happening at the same time. If you question it, you've got knowledge. With knowledge, you've got power. And, and then... And, and the confidence to, to make your own decisions. Um, we don't have a private insurance. And uh, my surgeon when we spoke about treatment, asked me whether I had private insurance. And at that time, I was, I think, a bit confused, and I, I took that question to mean that I should go private. So I said, no, I don't, but I'll pay for it, because we kind of keep a fund ourselves for anything like that. So I went private with the first surgery, and then I realized that I didn't have to <laughs> go private. So the second one was done in a public hospital. In this section about treatment, you'll hear about the treatment they each received, as well as some of the side effects they experienced and how they managed them. Not everybody experiences side effects, and they can vary from person to person, depending on the type and dose of the treatment you receive. Um, got the cancer out, was pretty happy about that. Um, and then my first appointment with my oncologist, she laid out this plan and but I'd done a bit of research myself and read some clinical studies and I decided that I, well I said to her why can't I have dose dose dense treatment and she said oh oh you can have dose dense oh, you can have it this way and um and that's she she kept saying to me oh you're not going to be able to handle it you you know it's it's really hard on you and I knew myself that that was the way I had to go. I'm a sprinter, not a long-distance runner. It started with chemotherapy um, straight away uh, and followed by breast surgery with little gaps to recover, first from the chemo, then from the surgery, and then I had radiation. So that was the course it took. I had... Um Two surgeries. First was the breast lump, second was the lymph nodes that were taken out. After that, uh, after I had to wait for all wounds to heal and then started chemo. I had four rounds of chemo. Uh, there were one every three weeks. And then after about five to six weeks break, I had uh, radiotherapy. Ten sessions, I think. Chemo was extremely difficult. For probably three days, I could not get out of bed. I was very short breath, swollen, all sorts of things, pains and aches and everything. But it did stop afterwards and then start getting better. And then after those eight or nine days, I was back to work for two weeks and then back to another one. So it was quite hard. Uh, I read a lot about it before from brochures and everything I've collected over time but none of them told me that it would be this hard. I contacted the Cancer Council fairly early in my diagnosis and asked for a relaxation 
CD and a meditation CD. I uh, got booklets of information on how to advise children, uh, like your grandchildren or family. Um, so I, I accepted help like that. Um, and I also l- like to exercise um, and believe that that would help with the treatment, so I was going walking more. Um, and trying to relax. I got, I went to a psychologist um, partway through. I uh, decided that I wanted some strategies perhaps to help with getting the right balance and looking after myself and Graham and also future grief uh, and loss that I knew was down the track. Um, And my doctor put me on a care plan that gave six, I think, uh, Medicare-supported visits to a psychologist, um, which I was I took up, and she was useful and helpful and gave me some strategies. And it, I talked, just even talking things through um, helps you sort out in your own mind how best to do things. Few things helped me along the way. Um, I had, uh, uh, I went to mindfulness meditation course, which lasted eight weeks, and that was kind of through the middle of my treatment and onwards. And that helped me a lot. Um, also, after the last chemo, uh, that depression was lingering; it didn't go away like previously. So I asked my GP to see someone to help me through that, and I saw a psychologist. Uh, I think six sessions I had, and that helped a lot. Uh, it was, well, she did tell me that it was a medically induced depression, basically, because of steroids. So uh, what helped also was keeping a diary. I got a diary from the Breast Cancer Network Australia. Like the whole My Journey kit had a lot of information and a diary, and I was told that keeping a diary is actually useful, and it was, because it showed me that after those three or four, five bad days, it started to improve every time. So that really helped to know that it is going to finish. Keeping a medical record, you can take it to whatever appointments, no matter who you see. Um, I think you can sit down at your own leisure and, 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 and figure it out, like pathology results. I've actually gone back to mine a few times, you know. In that first time, you get... I, um, the surgeon tells you how it is, but then if you look through, you say, oh, okay, this tumour, I owned every one of them, you know, I owned what was happening with it. Um, and I just think it helps to keep things clear, um, where you've come from, where you're going. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a powerful thing. It's... it's uh not letting the the illness dominate your life, that life goes on and you should make the most of it uh, and do what you can. Uh, so I wasn't letting the side effects of the chemo, for instance, stop me as too much from doing things. I did what I could. Gardening was one of the things I've always enjoyed and loved. And 
because I'd have to stop some of my regular activities um, away from home, uh, gardening at home became more important. Um, and it really, I felt the benefit of getting out into the garden and focusing, thinking about what I'd plant, what season it was, what I needed to do in the garden. And when I was doing that, I wasn't thinking about cancer. I say, um, I don't look after my garden, my garden looks after me. I set little goals in my head. I, I when They say that exercise is the best thing for fatigue. I mean, I wasn't out there running marathons or anything, but I got up and I, went, I walked and I did things. I, I just tried to do things and, and that is true. If you just sit on the couch, you are going to be even more tired. I found out about breast cancer nurses' existence or Breast Cancer Network Australia just accidentally through a friend who, who had cancer and she was telling me she had a visit from a breast cancer nurse and I said, oh, what is that? <laughs> so she told me about it and I, I then went on the website and uh, found Breast Cancer Network and also found a breast nurse that I talked to and then um, she organised to send me the, the My Journey kit and... Uh, diaries and everything and that was great that there was a lot of information there one of the things for example was uh, information about uh, or availability of uh, look good uh, feel better workshops so I applied for that and one was organized immediately and that was very early after my surgeries before chemo so I was able to that was the first time I met other women who were going through the same issue and some of the, they were all at different stages so some of them had hair some didn't and uh, what I found out about there was that some they were talking about wigs makeup you know eyebrows when you leave them all these things um, scarves I absolutely hated that feeling of a wig on my head and I started that was the only time I cried throughout the whole journey then I thought, yes, I don't have to wear it. I'll just wear the scarves. And so they gave us information about websites where you can find hats. Uh, and I love hats and stuff like that. So, so that was really good because I did not wear a wig. And that was very good for me. So there's a lot of information, I think, out there. But it's important to know where to look. I didn't want to look into all sorts of different websites about cancer because they might not be reliable. But like Cancer Council and Breast Care Network Australia, they're really, really good. Sex after or during um, treatment can be tricky. Um, and nobody wants to talk about it. The oncologist doesn't want to talk about it. From what I've read online, uh, it's very hard for women to get help. Uh, from like They might seek out gynecologist help. Um, and I think that that's an area that we that we really need to um, start talking about it. You know, we've taken the taboo off off breast cancer. Twenty years ago, people didn't talk about it as much. Now, let's talk about how it actually impacts on people. In this final section, what helped? You'll hear about some of the things that helped them through their diagnosis and treatment. Oh, I would say ask questions and take someone else with you who's a really strong personality, who will ask questions. It's about being informed. Stay off the forums. If you want to look up anything online, stay off the forums. The forums are just full of people that have got negative stuff to say. 
right? Look at the at the proper the websites that have got a .org after them or, you know. I think not being frightened of it, um, that whilst it's a really hard year, the treatment, that you can come through it and you can have a good life after it, um, not to be afraid and to focus on the good things that it brings because it does bring good things as well as bad. Even the relationship with Graham um, was drew closer because... It's a very intense time knowing that your life could be ending. Um, and it makes you value the things uh, in your world and in your relationships much more. So unless you're faced with those things, you can breeze through life not appreciating so much. So there are, it's not all bad. It's a lot of good there as well. I guess to, to people who, or to other women who would be starting now, I would say be kind to yourself. Uh, try meditation because it's great. Uh, do exercise and seek help whenever you think you need help. I think don't be afraid to ask for help because I think help is out there. I've been very aware. I don't think I'm going to drop dead anytime soon or anything, but I'm. You, when, once you've had a cancer diagnosis, you, um, well, I think you're, you're aware that time is short. And that's part, of, that's part of what gives me the courage to speak to doctors and whatever. Like, I, you know, all the teenagers say, YOLO, you only live once. Well, now's the time to speak up. Now's the time to ask the questions. Now's the time to take a holiday if you can take a holiday or... We hope that the information in this podcast has been valuable. There are some general strategies that we recommend you follow when diagnosed with cancer, many of which have already been spoken about. However, they include learn all you can about your diagnosis and the available treatment options. Take someone with you to all of your cancer-related appointments. They can help you remember what was said and it's a good idea to ask them to take notes during the meeting to help with this. Prepare your questions before your appointments and don't be afraid to ask them. Keep a copy of your medical information. Seek and accept help when needed. And finally, talk to members of your healthcare team about appropriate exercise. For further information, Don't forget you can contact the Cancer Council Information and Support Service on 13 11 20 where you can speak directly with a cancer nurse or you can visit their website at www.cancervic.org.au and to find out what you can expect as you move from diagnosis to treatment check out the What to Expect guides at www.cancerpathways.org.au As a final piece of advice, please remember to discuss any concerns or questions you have with your treating team. They will know your personal circumstances and will be able to provide you with the most appropriate information and advice. You can also watch this podcast as a video. Just go to YouTube and once there, search for A Common Path, Cancer Support and Advice. 
you can then follow the link to the video you want. Our thanks go to Julianne, Prue and Nada who have generously shared their experiences to make this podcast possible. The Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service would also like to acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government who made the production of this podcast possible.